another uh, really, really cool event. I mean, where else can you go? I've got Thai Rockies where you start off the day and you, you have a presentation from a lady who is absolutely changing the face of healthcare and the, and the world and, and how we take in our fuel as, uh, as creatures and living and, and the health outcomes and whatnot. You start your day off with that at 7 o'clock and then have your day and, and then you get to enter into a new spiritual realm, you know, with a, with a great spiritual Jedi master, <laughs> which is exactly who Sister Ajani is, which I don't even know if that's her current name. That's the name that I know her by. But she doesn't live in our little twisted world. She can change her name at her will. <laughs> Henceforth, call me Captain America. <laughs> so, anyway, you're in for you're in for a treat. I mean, Sister Ajan is. We've been we've known Sister for uh, quite some time and had many events with her. She, I can promise you one thing: that uh, an hour from now, you're going to feel differently than you feel right now. This is a powerful human being who's learned a lot of incredible lessons in life, taking a totally different path than us. Um, and she's a great teacher and spiritual leader. And we're all honored to have her in our circle at this moment. Take it away. Thank you, Ray. So the second name that I go by, in case it's easier than Sister Ajahn, is Ama Tamasanti. You can just call me Ama. And um, I can explain why I like that name. You know, as a nun, it's sometimes easier or respectful for us to have honorific titles to, to call us by. But Ajahn, nobody has a clue what that means. And Aya, which is the right one that I'm supposed to use, also people don't know. And people are supposed to refer to me as venerable. And I, I just about fell on the floor when I heard that that's actually what people are supposed to call me by. Ama means dear one. And so when you call me Ama, then I'm also in a mutual relationship with you because I refer to you also as dear one. So for me, this is the right way to go where it's both respectful and mutual. And to me... I feel like that's what I'd like to bring into the way I teach and how I'd like to move forward. Before I launch into my ideas about what this is going to be like tonight and for these next few series, I'd like to just check in with you. You're all here. Why did you come? What are you hoping to get out of meditation? What are you interested in happening in this evening together? So can I just invite you to share why you came? Sure. I'll go first. Thanks, Vic. <laughs> so, uh, I met Sister Ajahn some years back, thanks to my good friend David, whose sister she is. And uh, uh, and it was coincidental for me because I, I had just taken a course on, on uh, Hinduism at DU, and I was having a conversation with David, and he said, well, I'll tell you a story about my sister. Uh, and I said, well, I'd love to meet her. He said, well, she's in the UK. And uh, I said, oh, someone, next time she comes, oh, she doesn't come here very often. So, and then a year later, he called me up and guessed, I said, guess what? She's here. So, so that's how I met her. And it's been uh, an incredible uh, personal journey for me. Uh, I, you know, I was born a, a Muslim. I'm not practicing culturally. That's what I am. Uh, but uh, more, more spiritual, I, that's, that's my calling. So, uh, you know, and... Uh, to, and I've been sort of trying to figure out the meaning of life in many ways in my own way. And uh, the thing that uh, really struck me after I met Sister Jean was the, the, the relevance to, to our life overall, but perhaps more importantly to our work and business life. 
also, which is the aspect that, that nobody looks at. Uh, when they look at the mindfulness and things like that, they think that's a personal part of our lives and really does not impact or have much to do with the business part or an entrepreneur's part of the life. Whereas my, my personal discovery of spending some time with Mama Ajahn uh, was that um, it has an incredible effect, and it affects every aspect of our lives. And it's been it's been a treat and, and a privilege to spend time. And and we've done three of these events before. Last time, sister was here, uh, you know, some years back. Those were at my house, and uh, about 30 to 40 people showed up at each one of them, and they every single person walked away uh, impacted. And they're all business people. They're all mostly, most of them are CEOs of companies and stuff like that. And it was amazing the interaction that occurred there. When sister came back here, we started talking, uh, all of us, Ray, uh, Barbara, myself, Carrie, and all of us, and, and saying, hey, wouldn't it be wonderful that, that other people receive this gift also, which certainly it has been a huge gift to me. So I'm here because just thankful uh, to be in your company and to learn from it. Wonderful. Thank you, Vic. Anyone else like to share while you're here? Yes. I'm, I'm happy to share. Uh, I'm also here because of David, uh, a great friend and uh, fellow transformer. We are working on the possibility of bringing two programs together that can really transform lives of people who are incarcerated and uh, young people also who have gotten into trouble in other ways, maybe not gone that far. But uh, I also have a son who is a practicing Buddhist, and he's in Dharamsala right now. And when I have seen the transformation in him just in the last couple of years, it has touched me so deeply that it has reminded me that over the last 40 years, I have skipped my meditations and really, really understand that I want to get back into it and, and be very focused on it because clearly it has made a huge difference in my life. I taught he and his brother to meditate when they were just very, very small. So I feel very uh, thankful that he has taken it to a level that I may never take it to. And uh, so I have been very anxious to meet you. I continue to hear wonderful things about you. David continues to inspire me. I mean, he had me looking at various motivational films and Dharma Brothers and and just telling me you've got to be my sister. And so thank you for being here. Good. Can I hear from one more person about why you're here and what you'd like to get out of this? Yes. I told you part of it already. Mm-hmm. I have a Master of Divinity and a Master in Philosophy and Religion, so I've studied all the different religions and find that fascinating and put it with art history. And I also did some um, Christian Buddhist uh, meditations was a combination of each. And I just found it to- everything totally fascinating. And um, that comparative religion thing is interesting. And I, I don't see uh, my business life or me without religion. They're, they're all combined. They're not separate thing mm-hmm. that I can't live my life without mm-hmm. the other 
and I'd like to learn as much as I can about the meditation stuff I'm doing. Good. Powerful. Wonderful. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Jeff? Briefly, I had the pleasure of meeting Anabel before and actually enjoyed the wonderful hikes with her. But part of what brings me here is actually, I, I, I lived through a situation tragically that was similar to the Aurora shooting. My situation about six years ago. I lived through it. Part of my healing process, I've just found what you have, have your words and your presence and what you have to offer has been very helpful to me in my healing process. So that's Good. Thank you, Jeff. So obviously I'm a nun and I wear robes and I've got a shaven hand. So I, I, wherever I go, it's like I go in drag. I'm pretty visible and I stand out. And yet when I was in California, I met up with the people who were part of the Google Search Inside Yourself team that put together the book and have this huge program. The book's been translated into 17 different languages. And what that is, is a program to bring meditation to the Googleplex and to bring a program of meditation to business world all over the world, okay? So, and, and uh, Pamela has asked me to be um, her executive coach in her private work as she transitions back from having a hand injury back into her workplace. So, and also my brother being an entrepreneur and my father having business genes that have passed down osmotically, it's like I sit in both worlds of having a sense of what is a business context and what my own personal <coughs> life has been, which has been you know, committed to meditation very wholeheartedly since I was 17. And now at the ripe old age of 50, you can figure out how many years that's been. Anyway... What I wanted to just talk about briefly when I, for now is just, you know, some of the, of the, like the spectrum of what ties us together as human beings and what some of these tools can do. And then how you pick it up and what you do with it obviously is going to be up to you, yeah? But as human beings, one of the things that we all have in common across ethnic diversities, across economic uh, lines across countries is stress. And we experience stress in small ways, in middle ways, and in enormous ways. You know, so a small kind of stress would be the coffee's not hot, you know? Or a middle kind of stress would be, you know, you're driving in the car and the tire gets flat. You need to, you, you're in the traffic, you need to sort out fixing the tire, you know? And a large kind of stress is, is, is that we have a catastrophic illness, somebody that we know is catastrophically ill, huge loss. You know, Colorado has been through some really huge things in the last month since I've been away. There's been a huge fires. There's been the shootings. The flag is still at half-mast. People haven't really even begun to integrate that. And so no matter where we are in our lives, you know, no matter how wealthy we are, no matter where we are in our economic situation, no matter what culture we come from, no matter what country we come from, some of these stresses are things that we're going to have to navigate. It's just part of what it is to be a human being. Yeah. When we have the tools and the skills to deal with that in a way where we're not stressing over the stresses, yeah, we're not adding anything extra to what's already being dished out. Then there's a kind of shift that happens. And one kind of sign mark of the hallmark of the shift is that there's more sense of ease and relaxation in ourselves. Another hallmark of the shift is a kind of shift in our priorities of what we value. 
Another hallmark of the shift is our ability to be caring and kind with people where otherwise we would tend to lose our temper or be crabby or short or, um, you know, maybe a little bit uh, brusque or abrasive, you know. And another hallmark of this shift or this understanding is, is, is that when we're faced with phenomenal loss, there is a peacefulness and a clarity because our identity is not tied up with external markers. Okay? We know who we are. And this is even to the nth degree. All right? So I was in California and a, and a few, about two weeks ago, a very, very dear friend of my mother's um, had decided she was going to remove herself from life support because she had had a lung transplant and something happened where she had a fungal infection and the lungs were damaged and it was irreparable. And so there was no more that could be done. So she made the decision herself in full conscious awareness that what she wanted to do was to remove herself from life support. And she asked me to come the day before she intended to do that. So I was sitting at her deathbed knowing full well that, you know, we've got a kind of like very finite amount of time, looking at her eyes, and she was luminous, okay? Such clarity, such peacefulness, such ease, such confidence, absolutely luminous. So even at the prospects of losing one's life, When one has internalized these principles of meditation to a sufficient degree, then even that is something that doesn't have to rattle and distress and rock you. Because fundamentally, we know that we're not our bodies. Fundamentally, we know we are not what we identify with. Okay? That there's something much bigger than that. So whether you take this as wanting to learn how to have less headaches and sleep better at night, whether you're interested in taking this technique so that uh, things function better at work, you're more effective in the relationships that you have at work, whether you take this because you feel really motivated to want to be more compassionate or because you feel that there is no certainty about how long we have to live. Jeff lived through something that would curdle most of our bloods, you know, in terms of the horror of, of that kind of an experience. And yet, if we are able to prioritize what are we doing in this world, what's important, what matters to us, and recognize that none of us actually have a clue how much longer we have. And so take that information as a motivation to begin to start looking, what can I do so that what I'm actually doing and living is engaged, is present, is kind, is caring, is filled with integrity, and connects me with something that's bigger than that just the immediacy of getting this next email done, making this next telephone call, making this next appointment, seeing the next thing done, okay? To the ultimate kind of transformation where there's no more suffering, all right? So this has this spectrum from being something which is just maybe even it's not even a self-interest. It might be just, there might be just an interest to see how it fits into other frameworks, you know, how it fits into another belief system.
to the possibility of transforming one's life and one's relationships to a place of abiding where there's no suffering under any circumstance. So each of you gets to decide, you know, what are you interested in? You know, what motivates you? What What is something that is actually something you want to put your time and energy into? For what reason? And what I would like to suggest is, is that if you are inspired or if this actually resonates with you, then what is going to be helpful is if you have some kind of a journal and you start writing regularly, like maybe a, a few minutes every day, where you just think about what are your priorities and how did you spend your day and how were your priorities connected to how you spent your day? Did you actually see them being fulfilled or not? What's important to you? Do you know what's really important to you? And then look and see if what's really important to you was actually something that happened during the day. Yeah? Because how many of us can be absolutely sure that we're not going to be in that theater? You know? Are we positive that the things that are really important to us we're going to be able to get to? If we don't, start doing them now. You don't know. None of us know. We absolutely don't know. You know? David, my brother, just lost a very dear friend who is 65 years old, had worked with him for 15 years, and five weeks ago went to emergency room because he had some symptoms. Two days ago, he passed away. He was six months away from retiring. You know? What is important? And when are we going to wait until we start doing that? Now, I've lived my life as a nun, and so I have spent a lot of time in monasteries, and I have done long retreats, and I think that they're really valuable. So I don't want to dish them, yeah? But what I want to say is is that there has got to be a way to bring meditation into the immediacy of what you're doing rather than change your life so that you're doing something different in order to do that. And the reason why it has to be that way is because meditation fundamentally is not about doing things in a particular posture, but about bringing awareness to what is, okay? And learning how to shift your attention so that you can learn how to relax, how to calm, how to focus, and how to renew. Because when our minds are scattered in ten directions, we have no focus. And we don't feel very at peace in ourselves. We feel like we're running after one thing after the next and that we have this illusory sense that the faster we run, then the better we are going to be able to get things done. But the opposite is true. When our minds and our bodies are together and in sync, then we can do everything extremely well and much more effectively but we're not feeling so scattered. So I'm not asking you to shave your heads and put on robes and to go to the monastery. But it's not going to work unless you are willing to renounce your suffering. There's a big difference between the pain that we experience in our life and that the suffering that we make as a result of it. And what we need to learn how to do is how we participate in fabricating the suffering so that we can learn how we can dismantle that fabrication.
Many times we don't have control over the things that are happening. You know, we don't have control over the physical sensations that we have, the way people are reacting to us. We don't have control over the thoughts that are arising in our minds or the feelings that we have. But we do have a choice in how we relate to it. And that makes all the difference. And so when we learn how to change our attention to focus on how we are relating to what's happening, when we learn how to return our attention again and again to our body, to our groundedness, to mindfulness of the present moment, to use simple things like the body and the breath, then we have a tool that helps us unravel this fabrication which has been created that is the response to the stimulus. So one of the things that happened to me not very long ago is somebody that I care very much about got activated by something, and she had misunderstood um, something that I had said and had went off into some kind of an idea about what that meant, which was not accurate. And as a result of that, said something to me that was very hurtful. Okay, So I listened to her say to me this thing, which was very hurtful, and it was fascinating for me to see that I wasn't reacting. I was listening. I was noticing her pain. I was noticing my own intention about what it was that I had said and what it was that I'd meant. And I did not take on the hurtful thing that she'd said. Now, for me to be able to do that is not a small thing. Because usually when people that I really care about are directing anger towards me, it's one of my weak spots. So to be able to be calm and kind and clear, when somebody was nailing me with their anger, was fascinating to watch. They could do that, and I didn't need to make a problem out of it. So I waited and waited and waited, and when she was ready, we talked about it, and it resolved very easily. So the emotional freedom that comes when we are able to see clearly what's happening, what our part is, where we can make choices, where we can place our attention, is very profound. It's not trivial. So you get to decide, is this something you're interested in? You know? And if it's interesting to you, you know, what do you want to do in order to support that? Okay. So what I'd like to do together... Yes, Vic? So, sister, if I can, if I may, uh, just sort of relate this thing, because our intent was to make sure that the context of what we try and do relates to our work life and our, our entrepreneurship world. Yes. So can I ask for some guidance here? So when I have a boss that I work for, who I feel that would like me and is not my champion or is not even competent. Those sort of realities exist for most people, working people out there. They say 80% of people are dissatisfied with the job situation. Or for an entrepreneur who carries all the burden and has to juggle a thousand people and thousand stakeholders, how do we apply this thing if, I, if my boss is, is just not into promoting me or whatever, how do I apply these principles 
to help me and assist me in, in, in that you related a personal situation, what if this was a job situation? The same applies, because the way the meditation works is it's not about what's happening with the boss. It's about what you're doing with what he's saying. So the whole principle of meditation is, is, is that from the meditative perspective, it's the way we're focusing to what we're hearing and feeling in ourself, which is where we find peace or where we get agitated. And from that is where we can act in a way which is skillful or not skillful. Okay? So these tools, which I hope to share with you, are tools which help us give a frame of reference, which allows us to have more skill with everybody that we're working with. So whether they are our bosses or our direct reports, whether it's in trying to negotiate deals, what we're giving here is a framework to be able to navigate what arises with less stress. Okay? Now, I'm not going to go into all the problem-solving mechanisms of how you can deal with a boss that's not championing you, but I can talk with you about how we can work with that in ourselves so that we can dismantle any extra suffering that's in that situation. That's an uncomfortable and painful situation to be in. But what we do with it, how we think about it, what we say to ourselves about it, is usually where the pain transforms and becomes suffering. If I tell myself as a result of a situation like that, that basically I'm no good, and I believe that thought, then that thought and the believing of it causes a lot of suffering. If I start blaming whoever, you know, my parents or the circumstances or the society or the fact that it's a terrible company because this person is not behaving towards me in a way that is in accordance with my own idea of how I should be dealt with. The blaming is another source of stress. So what we need to learn how to do is to identify the mechanisms where the suffering is fabricated, learn how to relax that, and then from that that place of more ease, then find what's skillful. Now, what's really important to understand is meditation is not about becoming a, a, a cabbage or a potato and being not engaged, okay? It's not about not acting. It's about not acting from anger, okay? That's what it's about. It's about not acting from anger or from fear or from the kinds of emotions which cause more suffering. But what happens is, is is that when we do become clear, sometimes that's where we become ferocious or passionate or incredibly powerful because we're not tied up in a pretzel of all these loops that are taking away our energy that disables us from the power that is our innate. Okay? So, does that answer your question, Rick? It does. Thank you. Okay. So what I'd like to do now is a series of different kinds of meditations with you and then have some time for question and feedback, okay, about how this applies or how to work with it, all the rest of that. First, what I'd like you to do is to stand up, okay? So I want anybody to stand. And if you have any issues with, uh, with, um, with your standing and you need to sit at any point during this, please trust your body. But we're standing all the time. We're standing talking to people. We're standing in line. We're standing waiting for things. We're standing all the time, all right? So you can stand waiting or you can stand meditating. And the difference is not in the posture. The difference is in the attitude. So when you're meditating, what we're doing is we're dropping our attention into our body. So feel your feet and feel your knees and feel your hips 
and feel your whole torso. And just notice how different it feels when you bring your attention into your body. And you can either let your hands rest at your sides or hold them gently. Notice what it feels like to have your attention in your body. Now, you don't need to close your eyes. You can have your eyes open. But our attention is resting in our body. Now, at any point when you are standing, you have the choice to stop thinking about the things that need to happen in the future and bring your attention into your body. And you can do this every hour. You can do this several times a day. You don't need to shave your head. And you don't need to go to a monastery. You can do it in the office. You can do it in the conference hall. You can do it on the way to getting a cup of coffee. You can, this is a very transportable thing. Okay. Now, when you bring your attention into your body, one of the blessings of doing that is the body is enormously less complicated than our minds and our mental processes. And the body only lives in the present moment. So part of the reason why we get tied up into a pretzel is because we're always thinking about what's going to happen in the future. What has to happen, what needs to happen, what might happen that terrifies us, all right? When we bring attention into our body and let our focus be there, then all of that drops away. And just notice. We've been standing here for about two minutes. How does it feel? Okay? So the calm that is needed is not huge extended periods of silence and solitary. It's a shift of your attention that allows your body and your mind to come together. That we actually feel our body and allow our attention to know what is happening in our body. Now just notice what happens when you do this. I'm noticing that my shoulders are relaxing. I'm noticing that my stomach is relaxing. I'm noticing that my neck is relaxing. So one of the things that happens when we spend a lot of time thinking about the future is our body is really tense. And a tense body is not making for a happy person. So we need to learn how to relax. Now, this is not a yoga class, but all we have done is shift our focus to be attentive to our body, and through that, watch how things naturally relax. Now, I would like to ask everybody to do a little bit of walking. And we're going to do walking meditation the same way we're doing standing. We don't need to walk particularly slowly. We don't need to close our eyes, obviously. <laughs> you know? And what I want you to do is just bring your attention to your feet and to the experience of walking. So let's try that.
so how is that for you? You know, so it doesn't take a whole huge amount of time. What it takes is the willingness to shift your attention. Now, in every day, everybody's walking. They walk into the bathroom. You walk into the office. You walk into into the kitchen. You walk into the conference room. You're walking. So it's not about creating separate time to meditate. It's about bringing the meditation into what you're already doing. Right? Now, bringing meditation into what you're already doing is to shift your attention and focus into your body and how you're feeling. Yeah? And getting a sense of what's actually happening there. That's one level of meditation, of using the body as a foundation for being able to relax and being able to unfabricate the stresses that we are having to navigate. Now, I'd like to ask anyone to sit down. So another thing that happens is we breathe. And we all breathe. Even the worst of us breathe. And you don't need to close your eyes to breathe. We are breathing whether our eyes are open or closed. And one of the things about our breath is our breath is a really powerful um, way of being able to help calm the mind. So when our breath calms down and gets much deeper and much longer, then our mind calms down. So when we just shift our attention to our breath, even with our eyes open, also notice what happens to your body. Notice how when you are paying attention to your breath, how there can be more relaxation in your body. Now, if you're sitting in a meeting or somebody's saying something which is uh, activating for you because it's threatening something that's important, rather than speaking from the fear, you can take one minute and pay attention to your breathing. Or maybe one minute is a really long time in that situation. Maybe you can take ten seconds, you know, three breaths. So before there is a direct action or reaction, there's just connecting with something which is soothing and calming. It's okay to pause. There's no deal that is going to be destroyed by taking three breaths. Even though I've never been a business person, I can almost guarantee you that. Okay? And so then when you speak, then it's coming more from this place of stillness and calm rather than from this place of agitation and reaction that there has to be an immediate response. Okay? Now, in a meditative process, we start with something simple like the body and the breath, and then we work and open up to more complicated things like, you know, whether we like it or we don't like it, and then what's going on in our mind. Because our minds are complicated. So if you start with the most complicated thing at the very beginning, sometimes uh, we don't really have the ground to untangle. So we need to have some ability to rest our attention in our body, some clarity about how our breath supports ease and well-being, how we can use our attention in order to shift 
where we are focusing and how that shift can have a huge impact on how stressed out we feel or how grounded and how comfortable we feel. Now, if you're sitting in a chair, nobody is going to be able to tell whether you focus your attention on your breath or on the bottom of your feet or you're focusing your attention on the kind of information that you're hearing. That's your choice. That's your private internal world. But when you have the ability to direct your attention in a way that supports your body relaxing and your whole resting your attention that way, then the immediate response is is that you're much more effective and calm in how you're responding. That clarity is really helpful for being able to see more carefully some of the kind of ways that we get ourselves tied up in knots with the way that we're thinking. So one of the things that's really valuable about entrepreneurs is that you have a whole enormous set of very well-defined skills of observation and persistence and willingness to take risks. And so what's needed in this context is just to take some of these tools that you have or skills that you have and then begin to see how you can apply them inwardly in the way you focus attention on yourself. So I'd like to ask there be one more meditation exercise and then we will pause and have a time for questions and answers. I want you to use your experience now with with standing, with walking, and with breathing. Keeping your attention focused in your body. And I'd like you to go over to somebody that you don't know and introduce yourselves. And while you're introducing yourselves, I want you to keep your attention focused. But as you are looking and scoping out who is this person you might want to go talk to, Just notice all the different feelings that you have. Notice what your body does. Notice if you feel excited to move towards them, if you feel a little apprehension. Notice if you feel grounded. Notice if you are spinning into thoughts. And bring your attention back into your body. How does your body feel? Can you feel your feet? Can you feel your legs? Can you feel your chest? So I would like to invite you to do this, to introduce yourself to somebody you don't know, and keep your attention in your body while you're doing that, and see what it feels like. Please go ahead. Please don't go back to your seat yet. Stay with your partner. Stay stay with your partner. Yeah. But I'd like you to change the topic from introducing yourself. I'd like you to change the topic from introducing yourself to just giving a little bit of feedback of how this was different or the same from the way it normally feels when you are introducing yourself to somebody. Okay? In this context, let's say you've had fewer barriers. So it's more open. 
just a couple of snippets of meditation practice. How was it for you? More integrated and connected. Yes. It was awkward to talk to someone else. So the first part was easy or it was interesting, but it was hard to talk to Josh and, and focus on my How many other people felt that? So is the normal experience that we're talking to somebody else is that we're not actually connected to our own thought? We're, we're, we're not connected? I always want to think more about what they're saying and what they're doing. And, and now it's, it's hard. It's like walking in chewing gum. Okay. <laughs> so we aren't practice in actually staying with our own internal sense when we are speaking with somebody else. We tend to absorb into the other person a lot. Yeah. And us, I mean, for, you know, in some ways we're even trained to think that if we do that, then that's actually the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the reality is, is, is that we can't effectively listen to what anybody else is saying if we're not connected to our internal sense. Yeah. And so there's a whole process of learning how to bring these kind of practices into communication. But what I have heard as feedback and what I have experienced in doing this is is that it is so incredible to have another person listen to you that way because they're totally present. They're not present because they've absorbed into your energy. They're present because they're present. And it feels fabulous. So so when I was walking over and you would said that, try and be mindful of yourself, I was walking in and thinking that I would not be able to do that as much as is explained. But I, as I shared in our conversation, I was surprised that I was able to do that. And so, Vic, when you were able to do that, what was the difference in your experience of being able to walk with your attention in your body than what it normally is? Uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I, I'll start practicing it more to see <laughs> how, how this affects my normal conversation. As I shared in our conversation, we didn't have no agenda. I wasn't yes. reaching out to to sell something or to get something. <laughs> yeah, really. Or I was just approaching it just for no reason, right? To have start a conversation. But uh, but I was just sur- surprised because I cannot multitask. I can switch between tasks fast, but I just cannot do two things at one time. That I know that about myself. So I was very surprised. I was focusing on my breathing a little bit and having a conversation. And it surprised me that I could or could Yes. Now, I just want to check in. How many people felt more sense of connection than they normally feel when they were speaking with their attention in their body? Okay. Connection to 
connection both to themselves and to the person that they were speaking with. So who felt more connected with themselves? And who felt more connected with the person that they were speaking with? About the same. Yeah? Yeah. So, yes, please. So my question is, is it a timeshare thing or is it a multitasking thing? <laughs> <laughs> I check in on me, I check in, listen to what they're saying, I check in on ROR, is that I'm really trying to do both at the same time? Because I'm with Vic. I, in fact, my understanding is none of us as human beings are any good at multitasking. We really are time slicing. Is that... So my experience with this particular practice is, is that it's really difficult for us to stay with our own internal sense, and so we move in and out of it. And when we move out of our internal sense, because you can listen, you can listen to another person and have most of your attention actually focused inward. And then when you lose that contact, then we have to come back into our own sense of ourself. So your question is, are we multitasking or are we time-sharing? I think we're doing both. Because we are time-sharing when we are moving back and forth between the two things, between our internal sense and the other person. That's time-sharing, right? And we are multitasking when we have most of our attention focused inwardly and we're open enough so that we're not excluding the other thing at the same time. So this has to do, this is, actually it's a brilliant question. Our awareness normally focuses on an object, okay? So we're focusing on thinking, we're focusing on speaking, we're focusing on driving. But when you open the field of awareness, I can see my hands and I can see you. I can also see down the hall. So my focus of my sight is not on one particular thing, and as a result, I can see many different things. Now... We don't have thunder going on right now, but if we had thunder and lightning going on, I could also be aware of that. So because my attention is focused on you, it doesn't mean that my other senses are shutting down. That awareness is open and receiving all of these different impressions at the same time because I'm not locking onto one. Now, many of us know in a conversation, we can tune into the sound of the whole group or we can actually focus on individual conversations in the room. So our attention has that capacity to open up or to focus. And when it opens up, it's not time-sharing. And it's not multitasking. We're not doing two things at once. We are resting in an open field of awareness that receives all of these impressions at the same time. It's different. There's a third option that you're not familiar with. We're not doing this and that we are open and receiving all of it at the same time. That is one of the kind of um, gold keys of meditation. When we are able to rest in that awareness which is open, then there's all kinds of new possibilities that we experience as a result of that. New levels of capacity, new levels of freedom, new levels of skill. So, more questions? about any of this, how it applies, how to do it, how it works, what happened in the meditation. I kind of felt like I slowed down quite a bit in just my presence overall because I was focusing so much on how I felt in my breathing and not really concerned or, or trying to generate a response to what uh, the person I was talking to. But, yeah, I was still able to respond without having to focus on that thinking, so I think that was pretty cool. So a lot of us get the idea that we need to approach something as a kind of like a project, 
you know, I need to get something from this person. I need to figure out the deal. I need to sign the contract. I need to sort out the problem, you know? So we have an agenda. But if we approach the person as a person, just as a person, and drop the agenda, it doesn't mean that our potatoes, our brain turns to potatoes and that we lose all sense of what it is that we need to do, but we come to it with a totally different motivation. It's not grabbing or pushing. It's open and receiving. And sometimes the magic thing is, is is that you can come to a person just as a person and the other person will come up with the stuff that you needed to talk to them about. Because you've made a space and they can respond to it. So let me relate this to a work situation. Mm. So I consider myself a competent person. I work hard and do stuff. But it's always a person who yaps too much and, and takes credit for other people's work that gets, you know, all the credit. And here, you're asking asking me to slow down even more uh, and, you know, be very mindful of everybody. So the uh, slight, small little time slot that I was going to get uh, to say my piece in the workplace uh, or, or trying to be a leader in the community in the workspace, that seems to me, are we moving even away from that? How, how is this really helping me take my, my due position in, in my life? Because your due position, Vic, is not about externalizing. Your due position comes when you're completely in full command of yourself. And when you are in full command of yourself, you stand your ground and you say what you need to say and you don't let people push you around. So you're not waiting for people to give you the space for you to speak, but you're not coming at them with the same forces that you were before. So there's a very different quality, and maybe you can see it yourself, when you're extraordinarily decisive, but it's not coming out of fear or anger or greed, desire. It's coming out of incredible clarity. This needs to happen right now. It's very different, and it has a totally different effect on your own biochemistry, and has a totally different effect on the people around you. So it's not asking you to be indecisive. It's asking you to be able to dismantle the qualities of fear or aggression or uh, this unreasonable desire to be present enough so that what you need to say can be said through a quality of presence rather than something else. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm kind of wrestling with how to say this. I was trying to talk about it with the person that I spoke with. Um, so, in order to come from that place of presence, yes, then you have to have, or I have to have, an experience that's grounded in it. Yes. To trust it. Yes. Before I can really come, come out of the fear. Exactly. Because. I'm so attached to the fear. Exactly. You know, and I, I'm attached to the outcomes of everything, and I'm terrified of what's not going to happen because what if I lose my house? And like you were saying, you know, ugh. but how do I let all of those very real sharks that are swimming around me? How do I trust that if I focus on that presence or focus on that? awareness and ground myself in that breath. I'm scared to do that because I have to let go of... I I can realize letting go of the fear, but I can't realize being caught. So 
I want, that is. <laughs> I want you to look around this room. See how many other people are in this space, okay? How many other people can resonate with what you just said, okay? So what I want to say is, is that in, in a very, very profound way, you are much more impactful as possible teachers and allies for each other than I can be. Because I live in Colorado Springs and there's a minimal amount of time that I can be here. But the way people can support each other is one of the fundamental ways in which we can learn how to do this and navigate exactly what you talked about. The difference between there's one sense of a, of a wanting to move in that direction, but there's all the stuff that comes up that needs real support in order to actually get there. So a way of generating that support is to be in contact with other people who feel that this is a value that they wish to move forward with themselves. So people have groups, they have blog posts, they have times where they text each other, they have times where they check in once a week in order to do precisely that, to say, how's it going? How are you managing this journey of wanting to trust but not yet able to trust something that I am not that sure in? Okay? So one of many things that affected me was this very question that was just asked of you, which is that if, I, if you allow me, I can share that's my interpretation of it. It's your life, but my interpretation of it. Uh, so if you allow me on that, was the fact that when I learned the lifestyle of Sister Rajan, which I'd only seen monks or Buddhists in the airport, and I would, because I never understood any of that thing, and I love you. So, so one of the things that really just blew me away was the fact that I learned that the sister lives every single day of her life depending upon the goodness of other human beings to make a gift even for the food. She even if she would have eaten anything the whole day today, she can't say, give me some food. She, uh, she can't receive money herself. She doesn't buy anything. So every single day of her life, she is dependent upon people she doesn't even know that well coming and saying, Sister, can I offer you some food that she will then accept? And then she will live that life today, tomorrow, and she has been for decades. Right? So it sort of blew me away to think about it and say that, say that I would hand over my life to everybody in the world and just, I mean, that the trust of that. So that's one aspect of it, that just that concept was sort of alien to me, and to just internalize it took me a little while. But the second aspect that sort of complemented that was the most powerful one, that when I see Sister or I spend some time with her, or when I am in her proximity, and I, since then I've asked her these questions also already, was the fact that I sense peace and happiness. Not only that I sense it in her, it sort of uh, sort of goes towards me also. Just looking at her and having that context also. That she didn't freaking know tomorrow she's going to get any food. <laughs> okay? And, and yet, I sense she's happy. 
she is satisfied more so than I am. Yeah. Absolutely un, unequivocal, right? I mean, absolutely. She is. She seems happier, satisfied, peaceful than I am, right? So I then asked her and, and said, how do you live this way? Well, I've asked this question before. And she says, I am very happy, right? So she lived every day. So when you say that, you know, I don't trust that, you see? So to me, it's it's this this faith of believing that if you do the right things, the right things will happen. And and over my life experience, and I don't do always the right thing, I don't do mostly probably the right thing. But sometimes I try to do the right thing. Okay. So so I have I have found that to be a truism for me myself that if you try to do the right things, even the short-term effect may not be very good, but the long-term effect is right. So I guess my takeaway on that issue of how do you trust that, how do you do that, really is if you do become more mindful, you do become, you start to become more thoughtful, and you start to connect with other people who are like that, and all of a sudden, things improve in your life and your attitude towards life improves. Sorry for this long answer, but, but I thought that was a huge takeaway for me personally in my getting to know you that that I felt, and I was planning to talk about that when we got out there. <laughs> can, I, can I add a little bit? Yeah. You know, I think your question about, about trust um, is the fundamental question that I have in my life. I think it's the fundamental question that we have as a culture. And I remember somebody asked um, Einstein, what, what is the most important thing? What's the most important question that humans can ask? And the answer to me was startling. And the answer was, is the universe a safe place? Because most of us at some level, at some gut level, feel like it's unsafe. And I think, for me, this approach and this um, practice and these set of tools, and there's, there's a, you know, it's not just her and these tools, but that, that whole spectrum of tools, lets us personally get to the answer of that. Because if the universe is not a safe place, you know, we better hustle, and we better protect, and we better control, and we better be fearful, and we better keep people out, and all those things. But that creates a life experience that, to me, is very different than I know that I want, and I think that most of us want. So I think, you know, that question is the, is the crux, I think, of what's driving this whole culture, you know? Is it safe? Are we okay? What do we really need to be okay? I, you know, my sister, I, you know, she's been my sister for a long time, she's been there, and, um, and I get to call her sister, sister, which I think is kind of cool. But, but, you know, she will jump on a plane to India, right? Most of us have, you know, cell phones and backup batteries and credit cards and people we can call, and we got three copies of our passports and all that stuff, right? We're completely armored. She jumps on a plane to India with no money, a begging bowl, and ropes. What happens when the plane is laid over in Chicago? Most of us have 14 backup plans. Hers is trust and faith. And to me, that is always so beautiful and moving that there's a, you know, to me, it's a symbol that there's an absolutely not different way to approach life, a completely opposite way to approach life. And that's, to me, why I think this whole exploration, for me personally, is so beautiful. And, and let me add to that. I think, can we bring that space into our business lives? Can we create business relationships and businesses around that space? Because I know, for me, you know, there's a lot of pull to be, you know, controlling and to be, you know, totally outcome-driven and to be freaked out and stressed out and overwhelmed the way, you know, how many of us feel that way sometimes? <laughs> so how do, we, how do we change that? To me, she is like, you know, a symbol of, you know, just 
taking a deep breath, focusing on your feet, and, and the universe is a safe place. What a beautiful thing. You know? So that, that's my take. I think it's a beautiful question. That fear thing to me is huge. Huge. Yeah, and I, and I, I do think perhaps next time, because this is hopefully like it has been for me, a journey for most of you also, because believe me, every single time, and I have sat through the, as many times as we've done it, and it is a treat to sit through it every single time. But I think there's a, there's a personal journey involved also that sister had in, her trip in India, which is which is again mind, another mind-boggling thing. Perhaps next time we can talk about. But I think this is really that what David talked about is at the core of it all. It, it is this attitude that the, I believe in this world. So Vic, I just want to pause you here and just ask everybody else. In this kind of journey, one of the things that is considered really supportive is to have support from other people who are doing the same thing. So what would you find supportive in this regard? Would you like to create a Facebook group? Would you like to have a, a way of communicating with each other? What would you like? What would support you? So can I? Please. Uh, so uh, David and I thought we were going to uh, close this uh, discussion today. So um, two or three things. Um, clearly, uh, being around Sister Rajan is, in my view, a gift. Right? And uh, I'm hoping that we can continue this, this practice and, and learn and benefit from it and there's no doubt that uh, you know that you will learn something about your personal selves in, in this endeavor, this journey. But I think perhaps more importantly, you'll also learn about your business life and, and how you deal with that. Also, that was the aha moment that this doesn't just affect your personal life because your person is involved in what you do as your job, as an entrepreneur, as whatever else. So this will certainly affect and impact you. So the way, uh, Sister Jean, uh, the, the way this whole ecosystem that allows her to do what she is, is that others like ourselves, uh, you know, also support her, her, her view and cause. So there are many ways in which you, you, if you choose to be a part of this journey, you can support her. So one is obviously is in terms of food. And we've got a website and a list here if somebody wants to make a gift for the food, they can do so, and it would be delivered to her. And uh, we can make, uh, as, as this organization here, Tyrakis and Innovation Pavilion, will become the facilitators for that. You can also contribute in just forwarding the mission that she has of this mindfulness and doing no harm and stuff like that. So if you just follow that, you're forwarding the mission that she has then you can also help and support it with your time and say, okay, what are your goals and objectives and can we get together to make that happen? So I think part of that can be setting up a Facebook page and all of us who think this thing is important for our personal lives, for our business lives, we can uh, you know, then, then have a convening place, so to speak, and be able to do it beyond the once a month thing that we are intending to do over here. So I would, if any one of you are interested in this, if you just put down your email and your phone number. Or if you're interested in um, participating or getting involved in uh, you know, sort of a deeper way. For, for me personally, I mean, I've been on you know a, a journey for a long time, and uh, having
it's been interesting because she was in a monastery for 20 years. And I saw her very infrequently. So it's been an incredible treat for me to not only get to know my sister better, but to um, be able to hang out with an amazing presence. And, you know, she's really an inspiration to me. And and for me, it's it's more than just sort of, um, you know, psychological value more become common. It's, it's really a revolutionary way to approach the world. And, um, you know, I run, I, I'm a pretty busy guy. I run three little businesses. My four-year-old granddaughter's living with me. My 84-year-old father's living with me. Um, you know, my wife teaches school. So we're life at full tilt. So, you know, it was really clear to me that I wanted a different experience of life. And, and the way to do that was not necessarily to change the external of my life. And I also wanted a different... You know, I, I came to the point where I really wanted a different relationship with my business, too. I didn't want this hard edge between sort of my authentic self and my business. I wanted to have deeper relationships with people that I work with. And to me, this is a tool. It's a mindset. It's a perspective to make those things happen. And it's really clear to me, to get those things, I need to change. I can't, you know, I think in, in the Western world, we tend to, you know, try and control the world, change the world. When this happens, we'll be happy kind of stuff. And it just, it flat out doesn't work. Buddhism has been, you know, talking about that for um was it, 20, how long has it been around? 2,500 years? Yeah. 2,500 years? And it just flat out doesn't work. So, you know, um, um, it, it fails 100% of the time when we try and control the world. So to me, you know, it's not just a change in personal perspective. It's it's really, um, I think, a beautiful way to approach our businesses. I, you know, I'm trying to approach business from a very different way. Can we approach it from a calm, centered place where we're not so frantic? And, it, and you know, it's a, it's a process. I don't think it's something that we learn overnight. But anyway, I'm excited you're all here. I, I really like to create a larger conversation about how do we create a community that's more peaceful, more compassionate, more loving, where our experience in the moment is more more um, justified? How many of us have this sense that, well, when the next deal happens, when the retirement happens, you know, it's like this future-focused thing where we totally sacrifice our space today for the future. What she's talking about is, you know, sort of bringing that in and creating that space in the moment. For me, that's a, a, a juicy and exciting possibility. So I'm excited you're here. I, I, how many people are interested in continuing? This is something that, that works? Okay. So what I'd like to do is build, um, you know, a community in Denver of like-minded, um, you know, hearts and minds and souls that um, can further this thing with, uh, you know, some facilitation for my sister. So and it's a treat for me to be able to hang out with her in this kind of a space, too, and, and uh, you know, be able to share some time and, and show her. When, I, when we first thought of this idea, Vic said, why don't you bring her up here? I'm like, we're going to bring a nun to all these crazy type A, super stressed out entrepreneurs. How's, how's that going to work, you know? And it actually worked beautifully. And by the looks on your face, it's working here today. So, um, uh, yeah. I'd like to say something. You know, when I was getting my Master of Divinity, um, we studied some of the classes were in ethics of business. And this ties in with ethics of business big time. I think it really helps <laughs> in that direction. Right. And so one of the interesting things that's a, been a feature of coming into the United States Dhamma scene, the meditation world, which is that people love meditation, but they don't necessarily put it in a context. And living in a monastery, it's in a context. And one of the basis of the context is um, ethics. And so it's really hard to have any sense of peace and kindness if you've just ripped somebody to shreds. <laughs> you know? Or, or, Right, you know, and so there's a context that supports calmness. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. And so the other thing that's very supportive is community, where you're actually in contact with other people who are in the same kind of situation who are wanting to develop. Are there other things? Thank you, Vic. Wonderful. Don, thank you very much for coming. We appreciate everybody here. 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.